Well, today, I want to talk about something that uh, we don't usually talk about in church, and it can kind of feel a little bit weird, but today, we're going to talk about sin. <laughs> we're going to talk about repentance. You know, I was thinking that when you watch the news, my grandmother always had a saying, we would watch the 10 o'clock news, Channel 5, because Channel 4 was horrible. Channel 5 was the best one. Uh, we would watch the news, and every time that there was a bad report on TV, Granny would go, ah, Jesus is coming back. And so everything was, just, you know, well, they didn't do this kind of stuff back when I was a little girl. It's like, Granny, when you were a little girl, they invented the mafia. Like, they just didn't talk about it. So we see in the world, like, there is stuff out there that's, you know, that's saying, like, that'd make your mama blush. And that's just the stuff that they report. You know, think about all the junk that's happening now in the world that wouldn't even show up on the evening news. What, what do you think the chances of that same stuff still happening inside the church? Surely not. No, no, no. The church is perfect. But see, the world sits on the outside and views us. We protest. We picket. And some places have even been bombed because Christians disagree with what they're doing. But when that lens gets turned around on our hearts, oh, uh, we start getting real fussy. We start getting real fidgety. It's easy for me to judge the junk that you've got going on in your life than it is for me to take a good look at some of the junk that's going on in my life. Um, well, the, the reason why we get fussy about that is we think that there is something scary in the light. Like you guys, like even your spouse doesn't know you as well as you know you. You know some of the junk that goes through your mind. You know some of the junk that goes through your heart. You know the, th the times that you have said that thing, and it's like, how in the world could I have ever said that to someone? And you did. That was you. Or the things that you think, and you think, man, if I am this scary of a person in the dark, I do not want to get drug out into the light. I don't want anyone to see what's going on in my life. We think that it is scarier in the light than it is in the dark. And I want to say that um, I want to kind of read a couple of stories. One's going to be out of Luke 15 because that's the only story evidently I know in the Bible. I was listening or I was looking at some of the, the topics that I had preached on. And it's like every time I preach, I talk about the prodigal son. So we're going to read the prodigal son. And then we're going to read a, the story, a story in Genesis. And we're going to look at maybe we've got a flawed view of what sin is. Maybe we have a flawed view of what repentance is. So I want to read a story out of Luke 15, all right, starting in verse 11. It says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them the story. Man had two sons. Younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed, divided his wealth between the sons, and a few days later, the younger son packed all of his belongings, moved to a distant land. There he wasted all of his money with wild living, wild living. Jesus didn't want to even talk about what he was doing, just wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land. Have you ever done something and, like, once it rains, it starts pouring kind of thing? About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. And he persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him out into the field to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs with looked good to him, but no one gave him anything to eat. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, Self, <laughs> at home, even the hired servants have food enough to, to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as your hired servant. 
So he returned home to his father. And when he was still a long way off, it's one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him, and he said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. And before the son could finish his big speech that he had prepared, have you ever done something wrong to your parents and you have your apology speech prepared? His father cut him off before he could even get the chance to apologize. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the, the calf that we had been fattening. We must celebrate with this feast because the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So let the party begin. Let the party begin. If I had all the beats on this story lined up across the altar, and we got to play like pin the tail on the donkey. And we had to figure at what point in time did the son repent? Like, was it at the beginning, like when he left his father's house? You know, probably not. You know, was it at the end when the dad killed the, the fatted calf? Probably not. It happened somewhere in the middle. Something changed in this guy's heart. And our knee-jerk reaction is to say, well, when he got himself up out of that pig pen and stopped living a wild life. You know, that's what we think of as rep repentance. Stop doing the bad thing. Whatever the bad thing is, it can be different for, for, you know, however many people there are here, there's that many different ways that we create sinful uh, actions. At what point in time did he repent? And it, I want to say, it's my or proposition, not preposition, it's my proposition to you today that the sin was not the wild living. The sin, or the wild living was just a result of the sin. You know, when I started uh, this morning, I was like, we're going to talk about sin. We're going to talk about repentance. There was somebody in the room that was like, oh, my gosh. Hellfire brimstone. Here we go. All right. Here we go. Now, to be fair, there are probably some people on the other side who are like, yeah, here we go. Um, but we have this warped view of sin and repentance in our mind. When I say sin to you, instantly in your brain, you come up with a list of things that you're not supposed to do. We're all like that. It's, oh, try not to kill people. Try not to cheat on your taxes. You know, for anybody that had to pay taxes, I'm so sorry. Well, I mean, all of us had to pay taxes. But anyways, we'll just forgive everybody for that. You think of murder. You think of uh, bribery. You think of gluttony. You think of laziness. You know, usually we don't think of gluttony because we're fine with that sin. Who, who's excited about Krispy Kreme coming in? Glory, bless you, Jesus. We still go to Ralph's because we support local business, but Krispy Kreme. So if I told you to repent of your sin, your mind instantly goes to, well, I need to stop doing the bad thing, whatever the bad thing is, yelling at people in the car. I need to stop doing the bad thing. And in the Old Testament, we did have a list of rules that you weren't allowed to break and a list of things that you had to do, this do and don't. And so the language of repentance in the Old Testament looked like sorrow. Have you ever broken a rule, knew you were breaking a rule, and you did it anyways? And then the second you do that, like, oh, I feel awful. My conscience is getting to me. 
and then you go to your parents like, I broke the lamp, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I promise I'll never break the lamp again. Well, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew words for repentance look like that, look like sorrow, looks like returning back to being a good little boy or good little girl. But when John the Baptist came on the scene, and remember, we are not in the Old Testament, we are in the New Covenant. And there are things that shifted about how we relate to God in the New Covenant. Thank God that we don't have to go out every Sunday and kill sheep and like birds and pigeons and all that stuff because, you know, church attendance would be horrendous. Um, and so when the gospel writers started writing about or started translating what John the Baptist was saying, they used a specific Greek word for repentance, and it was metanoia. The Greek word meta means to change, and gnosis is your mind. So the, the New Testament version of repentance is to change your mind. And I remember the Greeks would have a, different, a little bit of a different view of the mind. Um, they would be closer to heart, have a heart change, change something that's down in here. Um, and so when I say change your mind, because we instantly go to the don't do the bad things, and I say, well, repentance means to change your mind. You think, okay, I have a list of thoughts that I'm not allowed to think. Have you ever tried really hard not to think the bad thoughts, like to run somebody over that's not going in a traffic light? Like, don't think that thought, you know, stop that. Or when you see money laying out at a, at a restaurant or something like that, the enemy will put a thought in your mind, hey, you can just take that. No, don't think that. Don't steal from uh, waiters and waitresses. Um, well, since we have this, this view of sin, I call it like the whack-a-mole version of sin. Have you ever played whack-a-mole at Chuck E. Cheese? Like where you hit the mole and then like two pop up, and then you have to hit those. And no matter how good of a job you do at hitting those moles down, more will pop up. And so when we have that view of sin, when it's the bad thing that I have to suppress, when it's the bad thought that I have to suppress, all you're going to do is transform where that sin pops up. Because we're not actually dealing with the problem. We're just dealing with the symptoms. So when I try to stop that bad thought, I can get a handle on this. Well, all of a sudden, I'm being not nice to the people in my family. Okay, well, I have to focus on being nicer to the people in my family. Well, then I start embezzling money from the company. You know, we can't get a handle on our bad actions. Um, and I want to say that the, the problem with the, the son, the prodigal son, was not his wild living. I want to say that the sin that the son committed was that he forgot how generous of a provider his father was. It was the, Father, you are holding my money away from me. Give it to me now. The day that he started thinking of his father as this greedy person was the day he sinned. And what we see as wild living was just the natural consequence of that wrong thought, that wrong uh, um, belief. I want to read a story about um, a guy named Adam. I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy named Adam. But he had a wife. His name was Eve. Or her name was Eve. And they were gardeners. And one day they had a really bad day in a garden. And if anybody has ever spent any time in a garden you know how awful a bad day in a garden is going to be. Um, starting in verse uh, 1 of Genesis 3, it says, The serpent was the shrewdest of all wild animals that the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say that you are not allowed to eat from any of the fruit of the trees in the garden? Of course we can eat from all the trees, or from the fruit of all the trees in the garden. It's just the one in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, don't eat from that and actually don't even touch it or else you're going to die. And I've heard a lot of people say, huh, she changed the word of God. It's the heart. She, she didn't do anything wrong. The problem was this. 
You won't die, the serpent replied. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom that it would provide for her. The problem, the sin, was not that they ate from a tree. The problem was that she forgot how generous of a provider that God was. Out of the entire garden, you feel free to have a golden corral day every day of your life, just not this one tree. That wasn't the problem. It, the problem was, you're trying to hold something out from me. I've made an entire planet from you. Why do you think I'm trying to hold anything good from you? So when that little switch flipped in Eve's heart, that's when we see the sin taking place. And her eating from the fruit was just the result of that. So they ate the fruit, and at that moment, in verse 7, their eyes were opened. And they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Now when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and the wife heard the Lord God walking about the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord called out to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. And I was afraid because I was naked. Have your kids ever done something bad and then run away from you? Who told you you were naked, God replied. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Did we see God flipping out over a bad action? Did God show up with lightning bolts like, I cannot believe that was my favorite tree and you broke it. You changed everything. He said, where are you? Why did you run away from me? Well, I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? Who have you been talking to? Because I didn't tell you that. See, the, the concern that, Ad, or the, that God had in his heart was the broken relationship. Worrying about the, the manifestation of the sin was later. It's the broken relationship that, that causes the sin. The sin with the prodigal son, the, the younger son, was that he broke relationship with his father. And then all kinds of junk flows out of the broken relationship with the father. See, um, it is easy when I start talking about this for this reaction to come up and say, well, are you saying it's okay to sin? No. Am I saying that wrong actions are not important? Not at all. But I am saying that wrong actions are never as important as the heart that is driving the wrong action. So imagine that you have, this is horrible. I hope no one's ever experienced this, but I'm sure they have. Imagine that you have a broken sewer pipe in your house. And your solution to this problem is to go out to Walmart and buy every kind of air freshener that you can think of. The smell is not the problem. But we can mask the problem if we, if we try really hard. If we plug our nose, if we hang up a bunch of air fresheners, if we try to limit our sin, if we try to, through self-control, just stop sinning, quit your sinning, we can mask the effects of the broken sewer pipe, but it is a whole lot easier. It gets a little scary sometimes, but it is easier in the long run to fix the broken pipe than it is to mask the, the, the smell. And so sometimes parents, brothers, sisters, um, authority figures and even the church have fallen into this, into this pattern of the whack-a-mole sin behavior where we are trying to just cover up the, the smell. Please don't let me see how sinful you are. Please try to, like when you come into the house of the Lord, you better dress up your sin. You better act like you don't, like your life's not falling apart. We try to mask over the symptoms of sin as opposed to getting with the, the real heart because it can get kind of messy sometimes. 
At the turn of the century, when we discovered the power of the atom, there was a lot of people that were trying to advance the causes of, of science with the atom. We have a lot of amazing uh, medical technologies because we discovered the amazing power that God contained within this atom. Well, there were also some people that were trying to blow the world up. We're glad that they didn't win. There were also people that were trying to make a quick buck. So there was this guy that invented this crock pot that was lined with radium. And at night, you would fill this crock pot up with water, and you would let it get full of radioactivity. And so in the morning, you'd wake up and have your nice, refreshing glass of radium water. And it was supposed to cure gout. And so this guy like, kept on making these. And when they said, hey, you're killing people, and he was like, okay, I'll move to a different state, and kept on producing them. They had radioactive toothpaste that was literally supposed to make your teeth sparkle. Well, it literally made your jaw drop off. But we didn't know that at the time. And we're not even going to talk about what the radioactive suppositories were for. You don't want to know. You don't want to know. And as parents, as friends, as family members, and as the church, there, there are times that we will prescribe quack cures because we think that it's helping. Has anyone been prescribed shame for your sin? Well, if I make you feel bad enough, you'll stop doing the behavior. And that is just as effective as this radioactive toothpaste. So it, we're, we're all in the same boat in this area. Like, if you have ever been prescribed shame for doing something wrong, not correction, because we all need to be corrected when we're kids, but when someone tries to shame you into good behavior, it makes, you, it makes your heart hurt, and it is just as effective as the radioactive toothpaste. At some point in time today, it doesn't have to be right now, but when you get home, when you get in lunch, when you get in the car by yourself, if you can think of anybody that has shamed you into good behavior, I want to invite you to forgive them today. They were just like these doctors that were prescribing radioactive water. They didn't know that it was giving cancer. They thought it was helping. And so everybody that has, that has tried to prescribe you shame for your behavior, they thought they were helping. When I've done it, I, th I think I was helping. Like, if I make you feel bad enough, you're going to stop doing this this bad behavior, but all that does, adding shame to sin, all it does is hang air fresheners on the broken sewer pipe, and we don't want to do that. Um, so in me saying all this, again, am I saying that someone's actions are not important? That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that someone's actions are important because it can actually allow us to discover the root cause. Do you know that natural gas has no smell? If you have a natural gas leak at your house and they didn't mess with it, you wouldn't even notice. You know, families could wait. Actually, and that's, that's the reason why natural gas and propane have a smell added to it, because gas leaks would happen and whole families would just go to sleep and not wake up. And so they were like, we have got to change something about this. So we have to add a bad smell so that people know that there's something broken. Same thing with the sewer pipe. And our wrong actions, our bad behavior, it's incredibly important to notice those idiot choices because they drive us back to finding the heart of the problem. Okay, you're making this dumb choice. Where's the sin? Where's the lie that you've believed? What has the enemy tried to convince you about God, yourself, or somebody else that makes you think that this action is appropriate? Um, and I think that we are in the same boat as, uh, as the people in our story. The enemy gets into our head and says, did God really say? Imagine what the, the enemy was telling the younger son. Man, your dad is never going to die. And he's not going to leave you anything. Your older brother works a whole lot harder than you do. 
You're the lazy one of the family, so you better get yours right now or else it's going to be gone. Okay, so these, these three people, Adam, Eve, and the younger uh, brother, had these wild living ex- escapades. You know, they ate from the tree and ran. The younger brother told his father, I wish you were dead, and ran and partied it up. But what happens if you have a broken relationship with God or somebody else and you don't act on it? You don't have wild living and you just kind of sit there. Is that good enough? Is it good enough to have a sin-broken relationship in your heart but never have the wild living? And I would say it's just as bad. It's just as bad because the, the younger son had this older brother. And the older brother never went out and lived wild. But when this younger brother came home, his older brother had a hissy fit over his father being nice to him. I cannot believe that you threw a party over this idiot son of yours. Your son wasted, notice he never said my brother. Your son wasted all of your money, and now you're throwing the fatted calf, and listen to this, you never threw a party for me. The exact same lie. Both brothers believe the exact same lie. Dad's withholding stuff from me. So the brother, instead of running out with wild living, just sat there and emotionally walled himself off. Just as bad. But how often do we do that in the church? Something gets broken with our relationship with God or with each other or even ourselves, and we sit here, we don't go out and create five meth dens. We just emotionally wall ourselves off. And in the South, it's really easy to put on that good face, the, hey, how are you doing? Oh, how's life? Oh, it's fantastic. And you really hate the people that you're talking to. Well, I want to let you know that that is also a clue that there is something broken down, uh, down below. Okay, so if the bad actions are not the problem, we've discovered that it's, it's not the actions that's the problem. It's the lie that we're believing about God, about ourselves, or about each other that's causing these bad actions. Well, how do I fix that? Okay, well, if it's this lie... Do I stop believing lies? Do I do the exact same thing that I've trying to, been trying to do with sin? Do I just self-control myself into not believing a lie? Well, how do we discover that we've been lied to? You know that saying that people say, you don't know what you don't know? How dangerous of a saying is that? I don't know what I don't know. The people that were drinking radio, radium water didn't know that it was giving them cancer. The people that were brushing their teeth with radioactive toothpaste didn't know that it was literally going to make their jaw fall off. They didn't know what they didn't know. And so if I believe a lie, I'm deceived. How in the world can I discover it? Well, the solution to these broken relationships, these lies that we believe, is relationships. Can't we just repent? (laughs) Do we have to have relationships too? Yeah, the only way that we discover who we are, who we're supposed to be, and what we're acting like is if we have somebody else in our life going, hmm, that was an odd behavior. What were you thinking on that? Uh, Me and Zach always joke around about being mirrors for people. It's not my job to change anybody. And you can just, like, I'll I'll be upfront with you. If you are making dumb choices in your life, it is not my job my job to change you. And if I ever call you or if I'm ever talking to you, don't think that I'm going, well, if you just clean your life up, I'd be nice to you. That's not what I'm thinking. It is our job to be a mirror for each other. Be a mirror for your spouse. Be a mirror for your siblings. Be a mirror for your parents. Be a mirror mirror for your kids. All my job is to do is just say, hey, this is what I see in you. And so when I, when I start getting cranky, because if I miss a meal, I get real cranky. And so I've got a buddy and be like, hey, have you had lunch today? No. 
how about you go get a bite to eat? And then we'll continue the conversation. It's like, oh, gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize I was being a crazy person until you let me know. And so, and what, what happens with a relationship, it's not like, hey, you're being an idiot. This is what I'm uncovering in you. It, it's the opposite of that. It's, hey, let me show how non-idiot you are. Let me show how amazing you are. Hey, this is what I, these are the amazing things that I see in you. And then all of a sudden, I don't have to shame somebody into bad, or into different behavior. I just show them what I think of them, and it's like, oh, well, I want to stop being a jerk to you. I want to start being nice to you because you think that I'm a nice person, okay? So when we dig down deep, when we have a friend that's letting us know who we are, who we are in Christ, I also want to remind you that it's not God that kicks anybody out. Who's the one that broke relationship? Did God break relationship? We have this view of God that he is like, don't get mud on the carpet. You ever have a mom like that? I just mopped these floors and you come tracking this mud through. My mom never did that. I, I, was, I was bad for tracking mud in on the carpet. But we have this view of God that he is up in heaven. How, how wide of carpet does heaven have? And when us sinners show up at the front gate, oh, you're tracking mud all over the place. We say that God is so holy that he cannot allow sin to be anywhere close to him. Did we see God flipping out over how sinful people were? No, he showed up in the middle of it. He is not scared of your dumb actions. It doesn't frighten him. You track all the mud on the carpet that you want. What he is after is fixing the relationship. So it's not that God keeps people out of heaven. We are the ones that run away from him. Okay, so just have that for free. Um, and also, it is not good enough to promise that you'll never do a bad action again. Has anyone ever done that to you? I promise I'll never do this again. Liar. Okay, so I want to tell you a little bit of a story about me. Okay, so I'm sitting at a red light, and the person in front of me is sitting in front of me. You know, just imagine that. And the light turns green. And the person in front of me is having this big existential crisis they're thinking about their place in the world. They're thinking about how many coupons they have for Target over the next week. Well, the big point of the story is that they're not thinking about that the light just turned green. So my natural reaction is go, 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 stop. Now, is it wrong that I lost my temper over the person in front of me? Yeah, yeah, that is wrong. That's called wrath. <laughs> and we don't want to lose our temper on people. And it is wrong. But is that the sin? No. Me losing my temper is not the sin. Where's the sin? All right. God, I just reacted really strongly. <sighs> Why did I do that? And hear the voice of the Lord say, hey, it's because you think that it is that person's job to make your life easy today. Could you imagine saying that to someone? Um, excuse me, sir. But I believe that it is your mission in life to bow down to all of my needs because who I am is more important than who you are so you need to get on my page and start making my life easier. How big of a jerk do you have to be to think that? This big. This big right here. And so now that I've discovered the thing that's broken to me, I ask myself, Justin, do you actually think that you're that much better than everybody else? No, of course not. Bam, I've discovered that the, lie, the, the lie that the enemy has planted in my heart, that lie of pride. He tried to make me think that I was a prideful person. And I can go around to my friends and say, hey, am I a prideful person? No. 
lie of the enemy. Okay, so what do I do? I have discovered this thing about myself. I have stopped believing the lie. I've had this mind change. I've had this heart change. I've repented. What's next? Is that the end? No, we need to confess. Oh, confession. It's another scary churchy word. Can't we just repent and just move on and stop talking about things? No, we need to confess. Well, what does the word confess mean? Homo logia. Homo means the same. Logos is word. We have to use the same words about ourselves, about our situations, about each other that God uses. I'm not allowed to invent identities for myself. I'm not allowed to invent identities for you. If I'm going to confess, I have to use the same words that Jesus is saying over me. So is my confession, God, I am a prideful idiot. I am so sorry that I am just this worthless worm that doesn't deserve your forgiveness. Might feel like that. But is that what he says over me? No. I have to confess. I have to use the same words that he uses. Father, thank you so much that you know that I am a joyful, loving, kind, compassionate, caring individual. And that pride is not a part of my identity. God bless that guy that was in front of me. I couldn't care less that I lost a millisecond when the light turned green. And all of a sudden, everything gets righted in my heart. Because I have stopped believing the lie that the enemy planted in me, and I have confessed his word about the situation. Okay, so say we're sitting here. So what? You, you, know, you kind of rambled on for 30 minutes about how I'm supposed to not be sinning and I'm supposed to be repenting. Well, what can we do from here on out? Because I promise you, when the person sitting at the red light down here doesn't go and the light turns green, you're going to have the opportunity to have the exact same reaction that I did. You might not. You might be just naturally caring and compassionate, but, you know, sometimes it's hard. Okay, so what, what can happen? All right, step one for homework. Your homework assignment for this week is, everybody's getting out their day planners and putting it in their phones, I know it. If someone has ever prescribed to you shame for your sinful behavior, forgive them. Forgive them. If you hold that bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart, all it's going to do is make that stuff pop up somewhere else in your life. So just forgive them. They didn't know what they were doing. They were ignorant. It doesn't make it right. It doesn't, anything that you've ever experienced due to somebody else, it, I'm not saying that it's right, but they're ignorant. Forgive them. They didn't know what they were doing. Okay, step two, build you some friendships. Everybody in this room will ha go through a period of time in their life that they feel alone. They feel no one cares for them. They feel that they are by themselves. It's on you. Go build some friendships. And if you have those friendships, send them a text before you leave the building today. Hey, I just want to let you know I am thankful that I can be real. The people that really know who you are, you need to thank them for, for knowing who you are and still being in your life. Serious. Say, hey, thank you so much for being amazing to me. Step three, ask one of those people that you trust, hey, what do you think about me? What's your first impression of who I am? And I promise you, it won't be, well, you're a prideful idiot. Hey, you're a loving, kind, compassionate person. Really? Because I just yelled at a guy at the red light. That wasn't you. I don't know who you were trying to act like, but you were making pretend that you were this prideful person. Who you really are is compassionate. What you learn in the light is not scary. You will come out of the cave kicking, dragging, screaming, squalling, crying, and then you will come out into that light and realize that you look just like Jesus. But in the cave, we think that we are these scary monsters. And then, bam, when the light gets exposed on you, you mean I act like Jesus? Yeah. Well, we don't know that unless we have friends in our life that's letting us know that. 
Alrighty, so let me pray for us, and we can run out, and we can enjoy the weather. I'm telling you, if you need something to do, it is not sitting on the couch and watching TV. It is spending time outside with your family, enjoying God's creation today. So, Father, um, we want to confess our inadequacy on this, but, Father, thank you that that is not your word for us. Father, I feel in my heart that I don't measure up to your standards, but what you say over me, our confession today is that you have planted me inside Christ. You have hidden me in Christ. You have raised me up to heavenly places and blessed me with every spiritual blessing that could be mine. Father, thank you that the confession over this church body is that you have delivered everything over to Jesus. And the Holy Spirit takes of what is Jesus' inheritance and it manifests it into our hearts. So every area in our lives that we feel that we lack love, that we lack joy, that we lack uh, patience and kindness and mercy, thank you that it is my inheritance as a son, as a child of the King, that I get to have all the joy, all the mercy, all the patience that I could ever stomach. I thank you for an overwhelming abundance that you pour out of heaven into earth, into my life, God, that the people that run into me out in the world don't see the weird, twisted person that the enemy tries to convince me that I am, but instead they see the very image of Christ standing in front of me or in front of them. Father, we ask that you would bless the people uh, in our lives, God, our friends, our families that are pouring into us, that have, have seen us at our worst and that aren't scared, haven't run off. Uh, today we forgive anybody that's tried to shame us into better living. God, and I ask the Holy Spirit would open up our eyes, that we would have an experience just like the prodigal, that we would come to the end of ourselves, that we would come to our senses and realize the amazing truth that's been spoken over us from the beginning of the world. God, reveal your plan in our heart to us today. Uh, Father, we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Everybody have a fantastic week. Be blessed.